Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. And a patent is a document, it is a status that says, I was the creator of this, right? A patent gives me credit for my design, okay? So if my design goes patent pending, that means that I'm in the process of obtaining a document that will tell the world that this was my invention, okay? It will tell the world that I am the designer, and as the designer, I know best, okay? And so I'm going to talk to you here for a moment about patent pending, because I'm a little bit, um, a little frustrated this evening, okay? A little frustrated. You know, I, I was thinking about it, and we are literally almost in the year 2020, okay? Have you guys noticed that? We are almost at the year 2020. 20. Friends, we are literally living in the future. Have you ever thought of that? We are literally living in the future, and yet, at this point in our future, there are still a few things that have not gone patent pending, and I don't know why. All right? You would think that as humanity reaches the year 2020, that there would be some basic things. 2020, I know, 2019 comes first, but we're almost there, right? Think big picture. You're like, but I was born in 2015. I know, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. But there are some things that I believe should go patent pending that I'm just, my mind is blown that they don't exist yet. So number one, I'm just gonna begin my rant. Is that okay? Just number one here. How, oh, where are you going? No, back. Number one, how do we not have personal jetpacks? Am I the only one that like wonders these things? You're like, I just think about math class. And I stay up at night thinking about my jetpack. Where's my jetpack, right? Flying cars. Why do we not have flying cars yet? The Jetsons literally were a cartoon and they had that how many decades ago? 2020. We're asking the real questions now, people. Where are the jet cars? Where are the hover cars? Where's my hoverboard? Anybody else? <laughs> what? It's in Canada. Oh, Back to the Future. Uh, so I looked this up because I was like, out of all of these, I go, wait, you seriously mean to tell me that there's no such thing as a hoverboard? So I looked it up and there's actually a company that has gone patent pending in Canada, eh? And so they're in Canada and they've set a Guinness world record. They took their hoverboard 900 feet in the air. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go. We're in the future, okay? Tell me this. How come we can't create lightsabers? I'm just saying, right? If we can, they existed a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We're in the year 2020. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Castruccio. I'm just saying. All right? Where's my lightsaber? I also was wondering, since we're almost in the year 2020, tell me this. Why do we not have a cup? This is a, just, I'm getting practical. Why do we not have a cup? that automatically collects the spilling on the side of the cup and puts it back in your cup. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, like sometimes I get nervous and sometimes I shake a little bit. And so when the cup spills, why should I lose that drip? Especially when it's $7 a cup. I'm just saying, hey, I'm just asking the questions, all right? We're in the year 2020. 
tell me how we can't print food yet. Why can't we print food? I have, right now, you go back to my office and we have a printer that is like, we call it Bertha, right? She can do everything. She's connected to the internet. She can print document upon document with ink and all these different cartridges. And I was just thinking, why don't we have a printer that instead of like color ink and black ink and toner, it has like yeast and baking soda and baking powder. Like what? Like, I'm just asking the real questions. Where's my food printer? We're talking about designs. Am I the only one that thinks about this? Thank you. Thank you, Anna Martin. And here's a real one. Here's a real one, okay? Listen to me. We've gone to the moon. Listen to me. Students, we've gone to the moon. We can drive cars on electricity. We can fly. And you mean to tell me that for us who have little babies at home, we have not yet invented an ironing board that doesn't sound like a wounded gazelle every time you open it? (laughs) If that is not the greatest oversight in the solar system, I don't know what is. Does everybody have one of these? And it's just like, and think about how how tame we are. Think about how we've just accepted the mentality of losers because we open it every day and we just go, this is just life. This just, I guess this is just the way it is. I guess nobody will ever invent an ironing board that doesn't sound like, Some people go, Sam, your clothes are wrinkled. I go, yes, because it wasn't worth it this morning. Dude, my baby was sleeping and I was like, wake the baby, iron the shirt. And I was like, nah, just go. These are inventions that I'm telling you in the next 10 years, when they go patent pending, you're gonna remember this sermon and go, Sam had the ideas. I have the ideas, I don't have the know-how, but it's you, because you're our future. (laughs) So go invent my hoverboard, invent it. We're talking about inventions tonight. We're talking, these are the real questions. We're talking about inventions. And for a moment, just for a few moments, I want to talk about an invention that is already in existence. I want to talk about something that has been designed and it's actually been designed by God. Okay? I'm going to tell you about an invention. I'm going to tell you about this design that has been designed by the creator of the universe and he doesn't need a patent. Okay? Nobody's in danger of confusing the identity of the designer. And so friends, tonight, I want to talk to you about the design of a family. I want to talk to you about the design of a family. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's invention, okay? We're going to look at his invention and it's as if we're going to unroll the blueprints, okay? We're going to unroll the blueprints as we look at how God has done this. What, what, what are the different pieces of his invention? What are the different parts and components of the family? How did he actually design this thing? And for the next few weeks, what we're going to do, we're going to look at the anatomy of a family. We're going to look at the components and the structures of a family. And here's what we're going to do. As we, as we look at the blueprints here, we're going to unroll it, and we're going to see that, ooh, part of the design is spouses. A major part of God's blueprint for the family is marriage. We're going to keep going, and we're going to learn. And even tonight, we're going to learn how a major part of the design for God's family is parent, parenting, right? We're gonna keep going there, right? And we're gonna see 
that a big part of the family is you. Look, you're in the blueprint. You're here. Children. Like, I'm not a child. I'm an emerging young adult. Yes, that's included, okay? (laughs) Children. And then we're going to end our series, and we're going to look at the final piece of the blueprint. And this one most people don't think about, but I know you know it to be true. A major part of the design, an important part of, the, of, the, of your family unit are your friends. And so we're going to look at God's design for friendship. And what is a good friend? And we'll look in the Proverbs at all that. Because we know that friends are part of our family. And so we begin our series tonight looking at the anatomy of the family, looking at God's design for the family, and we begin by talking about parents and what God's role for parents are. And in order to do that, we're gonna begin our series not with the modern family, okay? Not with the modern family. We're actually gonna begin our series with an ancient family. And we're gonna take a look at a family that lived 2,000 years ago, okay? 2,000 years ago. And so 2,000 years ago, God set out to build a family. He wanted to design a people to make a family for himself. And so he called a man named, anyone? Say it. Close. Abraham, right? You're like, oh, I recognize him from the yearbook, right? And so God calls this man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to build a family and you're going to be the patriarch. You're going to be the father. And this people, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob. Right now on Sunday mornings here at Northwest Gospel Church, we're learning about Abraham's great grandson named Joseph. And so the family continues to grow. Joseph, he goes to Egypt. He's sold into slavery there in Egypt. But by this crazy turn of events, he's like the most powerful man in the land. And so he uses his power and he brings all of his family to join him in Egypt. Well, over the years, this family is growing and it's growing and it becomes so large that Pharaoh says, oh man, I'm a little bit nervous about these people. And so he takes Joseph's descendants, he takes Joseph's growing family and makes them slaves in the land of Egypt. And so here they are for a few hundred years living as slaves until one day God calls a man named Moses. And you're like, I saw this on Prince of Egypt. Yes, that was actually real footage. DreamWorks obtained the actual footage from the Exodus. So I highly recommend you go and watch that. It's crazy how real it is. And then the music, woo, we should sing some like Prince of Egypt music here, right? La, 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 you know what I'm saying? Dude, what if we just reenacted it next week? Anybody want to like dress up as Joseph or as Moses with me, right? La, 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 and we get like the skirts, Jonah, you know what I'm saying? But they're not skirts, they're like male, a kilt. They're Jewish kilts, they're kilts, okay? And so anyway, So he calls this stylish man named Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go and rescue my people out of Egypt. And so they were living as slaves until Moses comes and he leads the family of God out of Egypt and he's leading them to the promised land, okay? They are on the cusp of this land. So you gotta understand, okay? God's people who have been slaves for a few hundred years, they are on the cusp, they are on the brink of no longer being refugees. These people who have wandered for years are about to get their own land. God's family living 
with him as their God and them as his people are about to get their own land, right? This is like family moving day, except with like hundreds of thousands of people, right? I hate moving. I hate moving, right? Imagine, they should have had a U-Haul. Moses, what are you thinking? And so they're on this moving day, right? They're on the cusp. They're on the brink of moving into the promised land. But before they do, first things first, before they cross that river, before they move into the promised land, we have a major question that we need to answer. How are these people to live? How are they gonna live? What is God's desire for his family as they move into this new land? How does God want these relationships to work? How does he want his people to live in the new land? And if they're going to answer that question, they need the law, okay? You guys tracking with the story so far? This is like a great family reunion story, right? You're like, tell the one about my crazy uncle. I will after I tell you the one about Moses, okay? And so here we are, we're going to pick up the story today as they're on the cusp of going into the promised land. The family of God is about to get their land. They're about to be where God wants them to be. But first we have to answer the question, how are we to live? What will this family live like? They need the law, God's instructions. And Moses is about to give it to them. Are you ready? You, gotta, you wanna see what the family looks like? Christian does. Let's go, Christian Gray. Here we go. How are these people supposed to live? Deuteronomy chapter six, <clears throat> starting in verse one. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So here we are, okay, everybody? You as the people of God, as the family of God are on the cusp and Moses is about to give you the commandments. He's about to teach you what God has told him to teach you. And so Moses is about to give them the instructions. Here's how you're to live in the land. And so one of the most famous parts of these commandments or of these instructions are called the 10 commandments. Have you, have you heard of the 10 commandments, right? Though that's where we find these. When he's giving them the law, here's how to live in the land. Here's how to live as my people. One of the most famous parts of that are the 10 commandments. But there's more than that, right? There are a bunch of statutes and rules. And basically what the instruction is saying, I will be your king, Okay. You will live according to my ways, not the ways of this land. And so, if you were to summarize all of the instructions, if you were to summarize all of these commandments and all of the design, you can summarize it in one succinct phrase. And he does it here. Look at his phrase. That you may fear the Lord your God. Repeat after me. That you may fear the Lord your God. God wants his family, God wants his people 
to fear him. That's the purpose. Here's his design. His design for God's family in God's land is to fear him. What does that mean? Fear. What do I have to fear? In order to understand the biblical concept of fearing God, let me use a couple of examples from your own life, okay? Let's look at some of these relationships <clears throat> that you would be familiar with, right? Father and son, right? You're like, oh, that's who that guy is that's caressing his head. That's his father, okay? How many, do I have any ladies in here that are daddy's girls? Be honest. How many of you are like, that's my daddy? Do you still say daddy? He's, he's your daddy, right? Dude, I can't wait to have a daughter. I'm gonna spoil her rotten, right? Like Micah and Everett are gonna be like, why do you play favorites? And I go, I do, you're right. I don't know why. It's just, I can't wait to have a little girl, you know? But this is your father, okay? How many dudes, you're a daddy's boy. Anybody willing to admit it? Come on, admit it, right? Thank you, three of you. Okay, yeah, Anna, us three dudes and Anna. So think about your relationship with your father. Here's another one. I want you to think about your relationship, like if you, uh, if you have a, a job, anybody work? How many of you have jobs? Not for your parents, right? <laughs> you have jobs? Okay, think about your boss. Huh? I want you to think about the person who signs your paycheck and your reports and think about that relationship. Anybody go to school in here? Anybody go to school? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, think about your relationship with your principal. All right? Think about your principal. Now, what do these relationships have in common? I use these examples, right? Because you're familiar with them. You understand the dynamic between you and these, I guess they're men in this example. You understand the relationship, right? And there's something they all have in common. Every single one of these people require and call for honor. Okay, honor. And so simple definition, honor is to recognize the weight and the importance of the position. Okay, if I honor the president, I am recognizing the weight and the importance of that chair, of that office. I don't care who's sitting in it. It's the president, right? So the opposite of honoring, you could say this. If I look to somebody and I say, he's not that big of a deal. He's not that big of a deal, right? And now announcing the king of France. And he walks in and I go, he's not that big of a deal. If that's the attitude of my heart, that means I'm not honoring him, okay? If my dad walks in, if my boss walks in, if my principal walks in and I go, he's not that big of a deal. That's a heart that lacks honor, okay? And so honor is very similar, if not even identical to the concept of fear. This is what the Bible means. When it says fear, it's saying a feeling of profound respect and deep reverence for authority. And so when the Bible says to fear God, it's not saying to be afraid as if he's an abusive person, okay? That's a different type of fear. One definition of fear is I'm fearful for my well-being. Another definition of fear here is going, whoa, I have deep and profound respect for that person, okay? And so again, the opposite of fearing someone's position, of fearing someone's authority, would go, oh, it's just, right? So I want you to imagine, um, imagine Eden walks into the door here, right? And I'm just like, oh, who's here? Oh, it's just Eden, right? All right, that's okay, it's Eden. She's my peer, right? We're, we're fellow human beings in this class. But if the queen of England walked in, and I go, who's here? Oh, uh, it's just the queen. As you were, keep talking, right? 
And she's over here like, and you got all the trumpets and the red carpet. And I go, oh, it, nah, it's just her. Whoa. Like, do you get it? Do you get what fear means now? That is not fearing the queen. That is not showing deep reverence and honor to the queen. And so we look at these examples here. We look at like our father, right? Picture of our dads, daddy girl, daddy boy, whoever you are. We look at pictures of our dad and we know to treat someone like this as casual, to have a casual demeanor for someone like this is inappropriate. Your father, your boss, your principal, the queen of England, they're deserving. They are worthy of so much more respect than simply, oh, it's just them. You get it? And so here's the point. If that man if an earthly father is worthy of honor and reverence and fear, how much more deserving and worthy of our fear, honor, and reverence is the creator of the universe? Far be it from us to have the one who sits on the throne in the heavens, to have the one who spoke galaxies into existence come to our attention and for us to go, oh, oh it's just God right? We are to fear the Lord, the one who has no beginning or end, the one who is eternal, the one who is so grand and yet is so loving that he comes down to be in relationship with his creatures. Fear the Lord. Wow, it's God. And so God is saying, as you go into this land, I want you to fear me. I want my family to fear me. And so even as I talk about this, time out, time out, time out, even as I talk about this, these truths should cause every single one of us right now to pray the following, God, expose any part of my heart that is casual toward you, right? I used this metaphor with my small group recently. Like, imagine, imagine the guy who sits in like a deep layer in Arizona and he has like all the nuclear buttons in front of him. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the man who like, I don't even know how he sleeps at night because he knows like with one push of his finger, he can like end the world, you know? And so imagine this guy and he has all of these buttons and it's like Tokyo, Hong Kong, North Korea, Russia. And he's like, I could literally destroy that entire country with a push of my butt, right? Like he does not take that lightly. He recognizes the gravity of those realities, right? And then imagine my three-year-old walks into the room like he does on Sunday morning. And, just ima- and he's walking around these buttons and he just starts, it's like, what? That child does not understand the weight of the things he's dealing with, right? It's like a baby dancing on nuclear buttons. And I wonder how many of us have that exact picture going on in our hearts when we talk about the things of God. It's just God. Do you understand the magnitude of the things that we are talking about here. When you come into a room with 150 other people and you're singing songs to the creator of the universe, do you look like this? We're just singing to him. Or do you go, God, wow. God is big. God is not to be trifled with. God doesn't fit in your pocket. God is more than your homie. I don't care what your bracelet says. 
Maybe you're too young to know that. Do they still do that? God is my homie? Yeah, they shouldn't. I'm glad. We are to fear the Lord. We are to be a community that has such a grand view of him that the honor and the fear and the reverence that we show to the Queen of England is like this compared to the honor we show the Lord. That's God's design for his family. He wants his family to come and to fear him. And you know what happens when you fear the Lord? You know what happens when you live your life, not like this, but like this? You know what happens? You thrive. Because when you live this way, when you fear the Lord, God declares this the lifestyle that is blessed. Meaning, this is the lifestyle that is successful because it's following the design. Look what he says, look what he says here. He says, when you fear me, when you live this way, look what will happen, your days will be long. Like your days, like you will be living out wisdom and I will bless you with long life. He says, it will go well with you. He says, you will multiply greatly. And then finally, he says, you will be in a land flowing with milk and honey. You will be the recipient of God's blessing and provision. In other words, students, when you, you will thrive when you honor and serve God. When you fear God, when you live a life that is honoring and serving God, that is when you will thrive. It's when you thrive. Life will be living according to God's design when God is your God and his ways are your ways. When you honor and fear and obey and serve the Lord, you will thrive. So now here's my question. And here's the climax of the entire passage. Who's to fear God? Look at your Bibles. Look at the passage. Who does he want to fear the Lord? So here you go. You have all of these, all of these adults, all of these people, they're standing on the cusp. They are about to go into the promised land. And God says to them, I want you to fear me, right? Who does he want to fear him? Who? Them, but there's more. He says that you may fear the Lord your God. Ever say you? So he's like talking to them, right? You? I'm good, thanks. I'm just, there's just one, one echo is all I need, all right? You and your son and your son's son. All right, the echo, I like it. Let's keep it going. I like the energy. He says you and your son and your son's son. Do you see what God's doing here? Hey, next, next week when the middle schoolers are trick-or-treating, just saying. <laughs> he says, you, your sons, and your son's sons. God is making it extremely clear here. This is a generational vision. This is a generational vision. This isn't just for you that are standing here with Moses. God wants a people who love him and serve him generation after generation after generation after generation generation. And so here's what blows my mind. Do you know how much changes from between generations? Have you guys ever looked at your parents' yearbooks? Oh, look, everyone, you're just embarrassed. Over, like, oh, not the yearbook, right? Like your friends come over and your dad's like, hey, let me show them my high school yearbook. You're like, dad, seriously, don't. 
He's like, ha ha, and you're like, dad, don't. He goes, stop being Right? You look at your, how many of you have seen your parents' wedding pictures? <laughs> Do any of your moms still have their dresses? Right? And you try them on, right? And you're like, and she's like, you can wear this on your wedding day. And you're like, oh, nah. <laughs> right? Dude, let's just go back to the 70s. Look at this. Just like, dude. You know what? If I were them, right? And there are some of you here that lived through the 70s and I see you. I, I, I recently went home to Pennsylvania and I said, hey, dad, what was the best decade ever? And without even missing a beat, he goes, the 70s. Those were the days. And I was like, oh. <laughs> My dad was like, dad, I've never heard you speak like that. Dad, when was the best decade? The 70s. Those were the days. He just had this moment. So I was like, Hello, <laughs> sorry, dad, man, the best days are ahead of you. But if I were these people, you know what I'd be wondering? Dude, how come nobody told me? <laughs> Yo, are you ready for the best one yet? Like we look at these and we go, what were they thinking, right? But this was normal. Everybody looked like this in high school. You ready for the best one? This is an actual picture from somebody that we know in this room. And I won't tell you who. Welcome to the 70s. Welcome to the 70s, right? We look at these generations gone by and we look at their music. Dude, if anybody dresses up like this next week for Halloween, I will give you $10. Say less, all right? Uh, Girls, girls. (laughs) And maybe guys, okay, all right. We look at these generations, we look at the music they listened to. We look at the clothes they wore. We listen to the language they used. Oh my gosh, right? It's far out, man. I'm like, you thought you were cool? Like, we make fun of people like that. But the point is, so much changes generation after generation. And yet, here is God, here's God rolling out his blueprint. And what God says is, hey, here's my design. Generation after generation after generation, no matter what the style is, one thing will remain every generation. There will be a people who fear the name of the Lord. And you look at what you know about generations. Look at your parents. Look at your grandparents. You really want to get a trip? Look at your grandparents' yearbooks, right? Look at your great-grandparents' yearbook. And you're like, why is everybody so serious? Right? Because they were in the Great Depression, so they were all depressed, Right? That's not what that means. That's not the Great Depression. You're like, the entire country was blue. No, it meant economically they were depressed, right? But you look at all of these different generations and you realize that so much changes and God, you want, God, 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 God. You want there to be a people who says, God is my God and his ways are my ways. You ready? Say, God is my God and his ways are my ways. He says, I want my people to say that. I want, I want the people that are coming to the promised land and I want their kids to say that and I want their grandkids to say that and I want their great grandkids and I want a generation. I want this truth to be echoing throughout every generation. And if you're like me, you say, God, I hear you. There's no way. God, so much changes from generation to generation. You, pos- you think it's possible, Lord? that there will be generation after generation who echo the fact that God is my God and his ways are my ways. God, I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible 
to have my grandkids do anything but look back at my generation and go, oh, how cute were they? They served the Lord at their church. Oh, grandpappy. And there's people like that that you know in your schools. There are people that you go to school with whose grandparents were ministers, whose great-grandparents were evangelists and pastors, and now they don't serve God, but they look back at their grandparents and great-grandparents and they go, aw, tradition. Aw, sweet memories. But they don't fear the Lord. And so if God wants there to be a people who echo throughout every generation that God is their God, then his design has to have something in it. How will this vision come about? How would God create a people that served him generation after generation? How can you possibly expect, Lord, for this to not fizzle out and when it, by the time it gets to my grandkids? And when you look at his blueprints, you realize that God designed just the thing to make sure this happened. He designed just the thing to make sure that this happens. Do you wanna see what he designed? Do you want to see the best part of his design? In my opinion, the best part. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, this is where we end. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's look at the design here. He says to them, I want you to love God. He says, there's only one true God, right? There's only one creator of the universe. So I want you to love him with your entire being. Okay, children of God? Say, yes, Moses. I want you to love God with your entire being. I want you to love and serve him so much so that you store, that you store his words in your heart. You store the instructions of God in your heart. And students, this is why we love memorization here at Citizens, okay? If you wanna be challenged to memorize God's word, talk to a leader and we will get you a scripture challenge, okay? And if you complete it, we'll buy you lunch. It'll be beautiful, it'll be great, okay? We love memorizing scripture here. We love storing God's word in our heart. But listen what he says, there's more. If this is going to last for generation after generation, then God's people can't just store it in their hearts. And so God says to them, I want you to store God's word in your heart and share God's word with your mouth. If this is going to be passed down from generation to generation, then we need to have God's word in our mouth teaching other people. And who are we to teach? God has somebody very specific in mind here. And at this time, I should have all the nurseries come in. And Who are we to teach? He says, teach them diligently to your children. Teach them diligently to your children. If the next generation is going to say, God is my God and his ways are my ways, then we can't just assume that they'll get it. 
We can't sit back and hope that our children love God. So God says, hey, parents, you're a part of my design. And here's the role that I'm going to give you. I want you to teach them diligently. Diligently. This is a word that perhaps some of your English teachers have taught you after they read your essay. And they said, I said I want you to write an essay, but I'm going to rephrase that. I want you to write your essay diligently. (laughs) Where there's some thoughtfulness and intentionality put into it, and you didn't just shake a pen over your paper and turn it in. (laughs) Just throw ink at the paper. Like, is that good? No. And so God says, let me teach you how you can diligently teach your children. I want you to teach them when they're sitting down. Are you sitting? Good, let me tell you about the Lord. I want you to teach them when you're walking by the way. Hey, do you wanna go for a walk? Good, let me tell you about the Lord. I want you to teach them when you're lying down. All right, children, come on, it's bedtime. And as you're falling asleep, let me tell you about the Lord. When you rise, good morning. Would you like some cereal? Yes, and would you mind telling me about the Lord? Absolutely, pass the apples. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. These are traditions. There are symbols as a part of this family. So even their symbolism in their home is designed to tell them about the Lord. You have traditions in your house? You have any symbols in your home? You have a cross on the wall. You have a Christmas tree in the, on the holidays. You have an Easter bunny. I'm just kidding. I don't know what symbolism that one is, to be honest. Yeah, that's not, never mind that. You see what I'm saying? He says, not only should you have symbols and traditions, he says, even your decorations. I want you to even design your house so that every time you walk into a room, it's like, bam, I'm learning about the Lord. In other words, I want you parents to teach your children how to honor and serve me all day, every day. All day, every day repeatedly continue to help them know and understand. This is not a one-time lecture, you know? It's like, how many times do I need to learn the alphabet? Just teach me once, right? This is not just like a lecture. Love God 101, moving on. Never talking about that again. Resell your textbook. No. This is a day after day process, continually teaching them the word. Not in a classroom, but in any and every situation in life. Parents are to teach their children, not in one fell swoop, but daily and intentionally, day by day, one faithful lesson after the other, one conversation at a time. Man, God, why do you want parents to talk to their children so much about the Lord? Because it's the only way. It's the only way that God's design will come true where this refrain echoes generation after generation after generation. It's the only way. And so if God's design for his family is to come true, then we realize the most important part of this is that God gave parents to pass on the faith. God gave parents to pass on the faith. How many of you said you have jobs? Okay. 
four of you. All right, so the rest of you um, will one day grow up to be responsible, mature young adults, okay? And you will get a job. You're like, I thought it was Job. No, that's the Bible book, okay? A job is what you do when you earn money, okay? And so I'm gonna give you a tip here. I'm gonna give you some, some advice so that way you're ready for it. You ready, Taylor? Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna go to a fine establishment. I don't know, let's just say a Chick-fil-A or something in this area. I have a few Chick-fil-A employees here. You're gonna go to Chick-fil-A, you're gonna apply for a job, and they're gonna say, you have the job. And you're gonna go, yay, I have a job. I'm useful. You're gonna show up to work, and they're going to give you a job description, okay? And the job description is very important. Now listen, I know that you have those book bags that you put things in and they never get seen again. Anybody have like a black hole book bag? Dude, literally, I swear, I would put things in my book bag when I was growing up and it would eat it. And it was so weird because all I did was just like crumble it up and I put it in there so I can make sure I find it later and I would never find it. And so if you have one of those book bags, I'm just giving you a heads up. When you get the job description, don't do that. Because the job description lays out all of the primary responsibilities for your job. Your job description tells you what does it mean to be successful in this role? How do you do your job? What are your responsibilities? And so what I'm telling you tonight is that one day, perhaps many of you will be blessed to become married and have children, okay? And in that day, when you have a baby, go, and maybe it'll look like a baby, maybe it'll look like an alien, we're not sure, okay? but it's a human being. And when you have that human being and they place it in your arms and they say, here, mom, here, dad, in that moment, I want you to remember your job description. And no matter what the world tells you is the job of a parent, no matter what the world tells you your role should be, no matter what the world says to you about how you should parent, you must remember God's design. He gave parents to pass on the faith. There's another application here because perhaps you read this and you go, ah, you know what, Sam, I'm good right now. I'm not gonna be a parent for at least another six months. And so I'm just gonna let you, like, I'm gonna leave that right now, okay? I'm gonna leave that right now and I'm just going to let this sit until then. Okay, I said at least. You're like, oh, I'm gonna get to work. No, right, at least. But there's another application here. Because maybe this is too far. Perhaps if you're a senior or young adult, this is a little bit more real to you because this is in the next four or five years perhaps. But maybe you're younger and you just really can't connect to this application. Let me give you another application of God's design for parents. Let your parents lead. Okay? As students, and we'll get here to what it means to be a child in God's family, but as children, you need to understand that your parents have been given a job description by the Lord. And when you don't let your parents lead you, when you don't let your parents teach you about the Lord, you're getting in the way between them and their boss. And when you realize who their boss is, you don't go, oh, it's just, you go, oh. Sorry. You know what I mean? Let your parents lead. Be teachable. When your parents try to tell you about the Lord, watch your eyebrows. Do you have the, I already know everything you're going to tell me, look. Or do you have the, hey, you know what? 
I don't know everything. Teach me, mother. Teach me, father. And maybe it'll feel really artificial because you're like, I don't want you to teach me. Say it anyway. Fake it till you make it. When you practice teachability, it's like your heart is like, I'm teachable. It just emerges. It's amazing. And so, and then here's what's going to happen because maybe your parents are watching this right now on live stream and they're going to be, as soon as you walk into the house, they're like, are you teachable now? Did he fix you, right? <laughs> that was my mom. I would come back from every camp, right? I would, dude, this is so bad. Parents don't do this, but I would come back from camp, you know what I mean? And it's like, I just felt the need to be like, no, mother and father, I have returned and I am perfect. No, 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 no. And then it was like, I imagined my parents just singing my praise and going, he's so holy. He's so sweet. You know, it was just, no, no, no. And then it was like, all of a sudden we get into a fight. We get into a fight and my parents would drop a line. Oh, and you just got back from camp. Oh, right? And I'd be like, ah! And so in those moments when your parents are like, oh, he talked about teachability. Did you hear him? You know what you say? Yes, I did. All right? Your parents have been given a job. Let them lead. Let them lead. It's hard enough. Trust me. I was in your seat like yesterday. And now I have one of those crier things. And I'm just like, what is my job? God gave me to pass on the faith. And so Moses is here tonight. Moses was a man that revealed God's design for parenting. But if we continue the family story, if we continue the narrative in God's family, we learn that there was another man. Just like Moses revealed God's design for parenting, another man would come later and he was far greater than Moses. But just like Moses, he revealed God's design for parenting, except he did it the best. He gave us the best picture of God's design for parents. And we recently just read this a few weeks ago in our previous sermon series. Look what Jesus Christ says. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus Christ, where are my blueprints? Jesus Christ, he's revealing an essential part of his design for parents. Do you see it? Do you see what Jesus just revealed to you? Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do you see it? Do you see it? The designer of parenting is a parent. The designer of parenting is a parent. Jesus Christ comes and he reveals that our God, the creator of the universe who spoke galaxies into existence is actually your father. He's your heavenly parent. And he teaches you, he disciplines you, he loves you, he cares for you. No matter the season, you can be confident that your perfect heavenly father is doing whatever it takes in your life to make you more godly. 
to teach you the way of life. He's doing whatever it takes in your life to make you thrive because that's what parents do. And on the day, perhaps when that day comes or if that day comes, on the day that you have been given the task to become a parent, you need look no further than the perfect example of your heavenly parent, God the Father. Let's pray to him right now. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed to us your design for the family. And Lord, I know it's a long way off to even think about parenting. I know it's a long way off and it feels like we would never get there, but your word gives us this instruction. It gives us this design. And so I pray, store this away in our hearts. Father, I pray that not only would this generation in front of me fear you, not only would they say, God is my God and his ways are my ways, but they would be responsible for passing on the faith to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Lord, help these students here tonight realize that they are a part of something that is bigger than themselves, that goes back more than 6,000 years ago. They are part of something that will last for the rest of eternity. They get to be a part of the family of God. And so, Lord, we love you. We willingly honor you and fear you tonight and with our lives, recognizing that you are our parent. And, Lord, we love you because you're a perfect parent. And so, Lord, give us faith. Give us grace and patience with our parents who are not perfect parents. But we honor them, Lord, because you've given them this role. So Lord, we pray that you would continue to grow this community, continue to help us be a community that sees you for who you are, replace the, the, the weak and the cheap pictures and personas that we create of you in our mind. And Lord, help us to walk in fear of you. We love you, Lord. We are grateful for your word. We love your people. In Jesus' name, amen.